I am very aware of the preciousness of time. First of all, wake up at the same time every day. And if you pick that time and you start waking up at the same time every day, that's very good for you. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. In this universe, we process time linearly, forward. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. We don't know how time works at a fundamental level. It must be some kind of hot tub time machine. Your behavior and activity is tightly governed by the body's internal clock, which cycles over the course of approximately 24 hours. This is called circadian rhythm, and is made up of a series of feedback loops that follow the day-night cycle. But the story extends far beyond sleep, so stay awake for this episode. <laughs> Good one, Richie. Alright, let's move on. Did you know that these clocks also have important implications for day-to-day -day things like eating, sleep, and mood, but also have broader impacts on just about every complex human disease you can name? Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, depression. These have all been linked to disruptions of the internal clock. I'm Richie. And I'm Max. And in this episode, we'll be talking all things circadian rhythm. To learn more about this fascinating phenomenon, I sat down with Dr. Martin Ralph, who's a professor in the Department of Psychology at U of T and a circadian expert. Dr. Ralph tells us about his fascination with circadian rhythm and how this phenomenon intersects with just about every facet of physiology on both the cell and tissue level. This is episode 52 of Raw Talk Podcast. Let's begin. The word circadian comes from the Latin circa, which means around or approximately, and diem, which means day. Circadian rhythm refers to any biological process that has an approximately 24-hour timing mechanism. This mechanism is a consequence of living on our planet which rotates around the sun and has a well-defined light-dark cycle. This is a deeply ingrained system that has persisted through billions of years of evolution. Your biological clocks are set by things called Zeitgebers. Now a Zeitgeber is any external or environmental cue that entrains or synchronizes an organism's biological rhythms to the environment. This commonly includes things like light, but also many other factors like daily activity, feeding, and physical exertion. This entrainment is very much a two-way street, because as we have created these biological rhythms through evolution, they affect our daily physiology in many ways. Almost every aspect of our life is rhythmic. Before we wake up, melatonin production is shut down and cortisol production rises. Insulin release is timed to occur in preparation for meals, and your core body temperature changes throughout the day to maintain homeostasis. So Richie, a little bird told me that you're interested in circadian rhythm, or, That's right. or you studied it once upon a time. I sure have. Why don't you uh, tell me about some of the, the work that you've done? Well, before we talk about some of my work, let's hear from Dr. Ralph. So the first question I have is, why are you interested in circadian rhythm, and what are some of your current projects about? I became interested in circadian biology, temporal biology, when I was an undergraduate, and I met Colin Pittendrig. And it was a matter of just being suddenly captivated by this idea this is back a long time ago now when biological rhythms were not mainstream science. But it seemed to me at the time that the idea that we had mechanisms in our brain that we hadn't really explored, and one of those mechanisms was, of course, the ability to understand or to, to use the passage of, of time. Somehow the brain had a clock, 
And here at this university at Stanford was probably the most well-known circadian biologist on the planet at the time. And so basically I thought, wow, I'm really interested in this. So does every, you mentioned a, sort of an endogenous clock. Does, yes. does every tissue, for example, in humans have its own natural clock? And how does this uh, biology work? How is it regulated? Right. So it's regulated at a variety of different biologic levels of organization. Every organism has a clock. It is what is fairly called um, ubiquitous. So organisms from bacteria to human beings have circadian clocks at least, and there are other types of clocks. Within an organism, every cell very likely has a clock, or at least has the capability of um, producing 24-hour oscillations. Subcellular uh, organelles and chemistry within the cell also seem to be tuned to 24 hours. So we have uh, molecular rhythms that drive the biology of the cell, which then drive the biology of the and behavior of the uh, organism. But within a cell, we have multiple systems that seem to have their own capability, at least of approximating 24 hours. The story of the suprachiasmatic nucleus, or SCN for short, starts with the eye. Within the retina exist your classic cells that you may remember from high school biology, rods and cones, which are used to detect light for conscious vision. Another pigmented cell in the retina, the intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cell, or IPRGC, uses photopigment called melanopsin to detect the presence or absence of light. So what happens with this light information after that? So these cells then send messages down through the optic nerve to the SCN when light is present. The SCN is a cluster of brain cells within the hypothalamus that functions as a master clock. And what do you mean by master clock? So the SCN acts as a master clock by creating and regulating signals to other tissues through neuronal and hormonal connections to different regions of the body. So the SCN seems pretty crucial to the healthy circadian biology of organisms. Has anybody knocked this out or removed this from an animal model? Yeah, so this has been done in both Drosophila or fruit flies as well as rodent models. And when the SCN is surgically removed, the animal loses all sense of time and rhythm. So the SCN is a master clock or master controller of biological systems. That name implies that there are other clocks within these systems. Yes. In fact, every other cell has their own particular biological rhythm. These individual cells will often sync up with similar or proximal cells of a tissue to exert the desired function of that tissue or organ. Tissue clocks, called peripheral clocks, are happiest when ticking in sync with the master controller. However, sometimes these clocks must be disrupted. Consider an example where you are sleeping under the stars one night, only to be awoken by a great Canadian grizzly or a wolf sniffing around, say, your offspring. In this scenario, you're going to get up and you're going to protect that offspring, which is going to shift you out of your sleep rhythm and into a state where you're going to be utilizing energy to either run or fight off this predator. Now, say you escape this predator, your peripheral clocks and master clock will be out of sync. Now, after you get a good night's rest, or maybe even a few nights rest, the cycles of daily light and dark will help entrain both your master and peripheral clocks to the same beat. Hey, now there's a scenario we can all relate to. So we've described circadian rhythm in the context of a coordinated network of different cells and tissue types. But what does circadian rhythm look like from a single cell perspective? 
Circadian rhythms at the cellular level exist as a series of transcriptional feedback loops where DNA is turned into protein and that protein inhibits the formation of more protein. A handful of clock genes are the main players in these loops and often code for transcription factors, which are proteins that enhance the expression of a gene. Clock transcription factors bind to special regions of DNA to promote tissue and time-specific transcription of proteins required by certain cells. In doing so, they upregulate genes that make proteins which inhibit the initial clock genes. So when a clock gene is active in a muscle cell, it will make proteins that help the muscle utilize energy and move. This happens alongside the creation of clock gene inhibitors. Once the inhibitors reach a critical concentration, the clock genes will be shut off, causing those muscle-specific proteins to stop being made. The timing of such an inhibition may occur at later times of the day, say when you're winding down for bed and your muscular tone is less needed. And is there a master controller of sorts? Well, depends on the organism. Right. The answer is yes, there is. It's distributed if you look at single-celled organisms. So there's part of the system is in the nucleus. If there is a nucleus, part of it is at least in the DNA, and part of it is in the cytoplasm. In human beings, in mammals, we know that the hypothalamus has a, a suprachiasmatic nucleus. The SCN. The SCN. <laughs> which um, orchestrates all of the other clocks that um, exist throughout the organism. So the liver has a clock, the kidney has a clock, heart has a clock, the cells within the liver, within the blood, all of these single cells have clocks. They all have to be coordinated one way or another. So they are coordinated in, in, in the sense that they can talk to each other and become coordinated so that the whole liver doesn't just have a you know, isn't it like uh, living in anarchy all the time. And the suprachiasmatic nucleus then has two jobs. One is to create an organization amongst these different um, clocks around the body and then connect it to the outside world through predominantly the light and dark cycle. What would you say is the link between circadian rhythm and human health and disease, but yeah. also more broadly just well-being? Right. So <clears throat> well-being. Let's just just talk about well-being. And if you go back to my previous argument that all of our systems, right, brain and body systems are contributing to that temporal program, then when one thing goes wrong, it's, it causes disorganization in, in the whole system. What can go wrong? Well, pr probably the major thing that can go wrong is the imposition of social behavior on that organism. And we currently now, ha now have come to the point where we are very rigidly tied to the time of work and school as opposed to the time of sunrise and sunset. Most of us are. Those of us in academia... To take a little bit more uh, we can we re, we a little bit more relaxed perhaps but i guarantee you that isn't the case in general we don't just sim we haven't in academia we haven't simply gone back to you know living in the campground and, and <laughs> getting up whenever we want and making a cup of tea right we still we may not live by an alarm clock all the time but we still are motivated to get up and work Okay, and we probably in academia, especially in this field, we probably are the worst at abusing our temporal program. 
to our temporal program includes sleep, which is a in really important behavior uh, for human beings and for lots of organisms and probably all animals at least. But we, you know, we have obligations and so we not only have obligations to ourselves but we have obligations as part of a community that is timed and we are timed so rigidly to to make sure that the community is satisfied with understanding when to do things and when when to avoid them perhaps that everybody's individual clock is compromised to some extent and this is a huge debate both in if you're looking at school timing or if you're looking at shift work and things like that and there's more to it than this but that's a huge debate as to whether or not we've actually chosen the right time to go to work to do all these things to yeah, be active right because they're connected of course going to school is is drip timing of school is driven by timing of work and timing of work is driven by somebody making money and the old adage the, the old saying you know the early bird gets the worm has driven human society western society at least yep time is money there's a lot Ti of time is money that are yeah, absolutely absolutely time for sure it's not not just time is money but timing is money and so we are now stuck with systems that that contribute to the well-being of the whole organism we have individuals who are contributing to the well-being of the whole society and that society has to have rules and so even if you're not particularly built to get up and go to school at nine o'clock you better go right because <laughs> you know you, if you don't go it'll be bad for you and if a lot of people don't go it'll be bad for the system but it sounds like these day-to-day -day pressures so scheduling pressures things like that pressures to be active at certain times yes can probably work to disrupt that endogenous clock system right what are some of the things that can go wrong from a, a health perspective well f well first of all if you consider the general argument then if there is an adaptive advantage or health advantage or whatever it is for having a coordinated system of clocks then anything that's going to disturb that is a disadvantage okay it may not be a huge one but over an entire lifetime you know day after day not getting enough sleep or getting up too early and not learning you can imagine that you're going to be at a disadvantage. If you are in tune with society's requ requirements, you probably won't feel that. If you're out of touch or out of tune, as, peop as human beings during adolescence usually are, you're going to ha have trouble. We've also built for ourselves a nocturnal behavior, which is extended playtime. Or, or extended social time, right? With the invention of the electric light. Fire didn't seem to do it, but electric lights certainly have. And, and phone and screens. Okay, but now, even more recently, yes, uh, uh, the, the invention of the television and any of these screens that, that, that have uh, light that stimulates the circadian system. What we've done is extended the day. A and the human biology is not built to run on that sort of long day all the time. 
right? Especially when we have the non-photic uh, requirements of society to stay with the, you know, the timing of society. Dr. Ralph cautions that our day-to-day life in Western society may be out of sync with our endogenous clocks and could lead to poor health outcomes. As we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, scientists have been able to show that disruptions to our circadian rhythm can lead to certain diseases. Let's talk a little bit about neurodegenerative diseases. Like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, right? Yes, like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, or Huntington's disease. There's a rapidly growing body of research which suggests that disturbances in the circadian system precede the emergence of the characteristic cognitive and motor symptoms of the neurodegenerative diseases. Circadian disturbances may precede the neurodegenerative decline by years and may actually contribute to their onset. The largest circadian disruption that is seen in neurodegenerative diseases is a disruption in sleep-wake cycles. As Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease progresses, sleep fragmentation and dysregulated melatonin release are seen in humans. Fun fact. There is a disease called REM behavior disorder where normal muscle paralysis is lost during REM sleep. And about 80% of REM behavior disorder patients will develop Parkinson's disease or a similar neurodegenerative disease decades later. Wow, it sounds like there's some kind of relationship there. But... Is it clear how circadian rhythm and neurodegeneration are related? So far, there are bits and pieces of evidence, but no full story. It seems that there are two thoughts when you consider a chicken and an egg scenario regarding the co-presentation of circadian rhythm disruption and neurodegenerative disease. The first thought is that the neurodegenerative disease state is influenced by circadian rhythm. The second is that circadian rhythm disruption influences neurodegenerative pathomechanisms. Let's run with the first thought, where neurodegeneration affects circadian rhythm, and we'll talk about Alzheimer's first. Alzheimer's is thought to be caused by the buildup of harmful plaques or tangles, resulting in the atrophy of the brain. One of the main components of these plaques has actually been shown to degrade a main clock transcription factor, which in turn could disrupt the circadian rhythm of brain cells. Alzheimer's disease may also affect circadian rhythm through the loss of neurons in the brain as a whole. Further, it's been shown that specifically cells of the SCN can be affected in Alzheimer's disease. This neuronal loss correlates with impaired behavioral circadian function, but has downstream unknown effects. Interesting. So how does circadian rhythm influence the neurodegenerative disease state? Are there particular things that you can modify about your circadian rhythm to start preventing these diseases early? Less is known about this. Few studies draw mechanistic relationships from the disrupted circadian rhythm directly to neurodegeneration, but non-synchronous circadian rhythms appear to be a risk factor in epidemiological studies. Okay, cool. So what about clock gene knockouts? Do they have a neurodegenerative disease phenotype? They actually do. Scientists have found that mice carrying a deletion of a central clock gene in their brains, excluding the SCN, leave sleep and peripheral rhythms intact. These mice develop severe astrogliosis, oxidative stress, synaptic damage, and neuronal loss, all of which are hallmarks of neurodegenerative diseases. There are mechanisms in place in the nervous system to keep oxidative stress, inflammation, and protein degradation under control to protect your brain against neurodegeneration. And we're now understanding that these defense mechanisms operate under circadian control. When dysfunction of the circadian system occurs, these processes are in turn disrupted and lead to a decrease in their neuroprotective effects against ND. Now there is a third scenario, or scenario 2.5 if you will, that does not follow the chicken and the egg story. This scenario is where neurodegenerative disease states and circadian disruption reciprocally and negatively influence each other. Let's start with circadian disruption fragmenting sleep. 
with this disruption, repair or maintenance processes that happen in your brain overnight aren't happening in ideal conditions. As a result, you develop an increase in Alzheimer's plaques. These plaques cause degradation of central clock genes or toxicity to neurons, which further worsens both your sleep and your neuron health. So much like other diseases, it's not as easy as saying that A leads to disease and B leads to disease. There's some complex interaction happening. Precisely, Richie. Want to hear a cool experiment I read up on? Of course I do. So in one study, scientists subjected mice to extended periods of jet lag. I like to think of the scientists putting mice up in first class with champagne and toiletry bags. And eye covers. <laughs> but what they actually did was shift the light and dark cycles of these mice, effectively giving them jet lag. And they observed three things. Inflammatory markers in their blood, diminished hippocampal neurogenesis, and impaired learning and memory all of which are symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. Another study showed that intercontinental flight attendants who experience frequent jet lag exposure exhibit hippocampal atrophy or shrinking compared to healthy age-matched controls. From these data, one can infer that circadian rhythm loss causes dysregulation of energy metabolism, immune system function, and neurogenesis, all of which can predispose a brain to neurodegeneration. What ends up happening then is that we have a tendency that we, we are going to abuse our circadian system and our sleep-wake cycle. That rule is that things are provided for us that occur in the night. It'll be television, it'll be concerts, it'll be going out to dinner late or something like that. Whatever it is, it's something that creates a longer day all the time. It's not just a longer day, it's a day that is shifted later. Because of that, we do things that we shouldn't do. Uh, physiologically, we're not built to metabolize at such an hour of night in the, in the way that we are forcing ourselves to do. Right. In other words, we eat at night. And of course, everyone knows, in the university especially, everyone knows you need to have food at 2 a.m. Yeah. And physiologically, your digestive system, let's say, is not in touch cognitively with the timing that, or the need for food. You're awake and so you're hungry. So what's happening then is that the body as a network of processes that are built to complement each other and make each other work most efficiently is now compromised. So we eat at night, and we're supposed to digest that food. We're awake, and so part of our system is working on that, uh, not metabolizing correctly. You end up with the issues of over being overweight, obesity. As you know, that's right. a, uh, a common problem. Type 2 diabetes is another disease thought to be influenced by circadian rhythm. It is characterized by the decreased ability for your body tissues to uptake glucose as a result of insulin resistance. Where healthy cells respond to insulin, they allow for glucose to be transported from the bloodstream to the desired tissue. Tissues and cells in type 2 diabetes become insensitive to the effects of insulin, resulting in high concentrations of blood glucose. Key tissues in diabetes pathogenesis have their own peripheral clocks and are regulated and entrained by the master clock, the SCN. Tissues such as the muscle, liver, fat, and pancreas are all insulin sensitive in a diurnal pattern. The master controller, again the SCN, is entrained by light and synchronizes the clocks of these tissues through hormonal communications, temperature regulation, or behavior. Let's take when you woke up this morning as an example. 
you would likely have been fasting for the duration of your sleep unless you've been sleep eating. Were you sleep eating, Richie? Not last night. After this fasting period and upon your detection of morning light, your whole body becomes primed to be more insulin sensitive so that you can maximize the utility of the first energy input that you give it for the day. What is thought to play a role in the development of insulin resistance and diabetes is the misalignment of your peripheral clocks and master clock through a shifted sleep-wake cycle or dysregulated hormonal communication. So, from my understanding, type 2 diabetes arises from unhealthy diet or eating habits that involve larger amounts of carbs or processed sugars. Does this dietary effect intersect with circadian rhythm disruption in any way? Yes. So, a Zeitgeber for peripheral clocks of the pancreas, liver, muscle, and adipose tissues is actually food intake, meaning that these clocks can start their own rhythm based on when you put food in your body and when those tissues can detect it. When you consistently bomb your bloodstream with dietary glucose, you're telling your body to deal with glucose through insulin signaling at moments when your body might be out of sync to do so. So this is like when you eat at 11 p.m., right? That's exactly right. So your central clock might be ticking right along at 11 p.m., ready to go to bed and fast overnight. But when you input that delicious pizza at 11, your tissues are entrained to the time of 9 a.m. again, when you might take that initial glucose dump of that size. It, it throws your clocks off. Wow, that really sounds like an experience I've had maybe too many times. Okay, well, how about this? Have you ever slept four to five hours in a night? I was a grad student. Well, listen to this study. A study took people and made them have either four hours of sleep or 12 hours of sleep per night. They saw that with this decreased sleep and resulted shift in circadian rhythm, that there was a decrease in whole body insulin sensitivity. Repetition of this decreased sleep behavior and decreased sleep quality has now been implicated in dysregulating your insulin response throughout all times of the day. This was another cool study I stumbled upon. Are you familiar with the gut microbiome? Yeah, the term refers to bacterial communities that inhabit your colon, which work symbiotically with humans to help us digest food. These bacteria also play important roles in certain diseases when they're disturbed or changed. That's it. So what this experiment did was they took mice and jet lagged them. You know, same deal, first class, in the sky. After this jet lag, the mice were then less sensitive to insulin. And when they sampled the poop of these mice, they saw a shift in the population of their gut microbiome. From this, it seemed that circadian rhythm disruption led to gut dysbiosis, which in turn led to insulin resistance. To determine a causal link, and if the changes in the gut microbiome were indeed causing the changes in insulin sensitivity, the group did something cool next. What did they do? So they took humans. They jet-lagged them to a point where they showed gut microbiome changes and insulin resistance, then used their poop as fecal transplants into the mice without any gut microbes. And what they saw in the new mice was the same insulin resistance that was present from the jet-lagged humans. So the conclusions they drew were that the disrupted circadian rhythms caused microbiome changes, and through mechanisms unknown, these changes caused a shift in the body's ability to deal with a glucose load. And this shift was transferable through their microbiome and their poop. I think what's really interesting about these studies is that Alzheimer's and type 2 diabetes seem to be very, very different diseases. But when you look at both diseases on a fundamental level, you see similarities in circadian rhythm disruption. The same is true for other complex human disorders like autoimmune disorders, cardiovascular disease, and mood disorders. There's a lot of day-to-day -day disruptions that people encounter yes. to their circadian rhythm for many different reasons that right. you have mentioned. But longer term, do you think that these micro day-to-day -day disruptions can add up and contribute to things like poor health outcomes in the future? So what is the link between circadian rhythm and aging? 
healthy aging versus maybe <laughs> not as healthy aging. Okay. You have been in the Patronus lab. I have for some time. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. So from that, those data, there's a clear connection between aging loci in our DNA and rhythmic loci. DNA regions that, that appear to be linked to, to aging tend to be also linked to uh, rhythmicity. That is, they are the ones that, that show the strongest rhythmic expression. So there's a link at that level. It's not clear what that link actually means to, to the aging phenomenon. Um, we all get old and, and, and die, but it's, it's very much there. And so um, there are some experiments that show that rhythm disturbance is linked to shorter lifespan. There's the reverse of that, that if you look at organisms that are disorganized in, in terms of their behavior, you can predict uh, that they will have a shorter li lifespan. But then there are other findings that suggest it's not just that your clock falls apart and it, it isn't controlling your peripheral clocks as well. It's the fact that all of these clocks are now starting to be performing at different phases from optimal. So, so as an organization, you need different clocks operating at certain times of day. If they don't, if they become out of synchrony with, with each other, then they become less efficient. And efficiency is really an important thing because if, if, if you have cells that are working and they need some downtime, they need to be able to anticipate properly when that downtime should occur. Otherwise, they're going to get asked to do more work when they're not ready to do it, and they, the downtime won't happen. So they'll, they'll just become less efficient. They'll wear out. We did an experiment years ago where we actually removed the SCN from animals that... Um, um, we actually didn't remove it. We, we implanted a, another SCN and caused the, the behavioral output to be more consolidated, which simply means it looks, the animal started to look more like a younger animal. This is, we did this in hamsters. Oh, interesting. And those animals lived longer. Just to summarize that, by taking a SCN, that region of the brain that controls the clock, or I guess is the clock, the endogenous clock. So that's the a, master clock. Right. Master so by implanting a well-timed SCN into the brain of a hamster that I guess was a little bit older, its behavior mimicked that of a younger hamster? Right. So the, the actual running around, the locomotor activity of the animals kind of reversed. Didn't go back in time, but it, it was caused by this implant to be more coordinated and so you have an old animal whose rhythms are falling apart they're becoming active and inactive at the wrong times of day you give them a an scn that is from a younger organism i'm assuming a more healthy scn and the animal's activity becomes more consolidated more nocturnal more diurnal Okay, and those animals, yes, as a group, live 20% longer. And it's longer not only than the other animals, 
just normal animals, there's controls where nothing has been done to these animals. They all go through the same degradation of their overt behavior as they get older. And there comes a point where you can actually predict how much longer they have to live. What appears to be happening with these SCN transplants is that we don't change the actual lifespan of the species, but we make them healthier because they have more organization amongst their different systems, different tissues. And so that allows them to live up to the species lifespan. And they honestly, it's not published, it's not out there, but uh, you can ask other people that were in the lab at the time. The animals look better. Let's recap what we've learned so far. The body's tissues and cells all have clocks that dictate what time of day they should be active, which genes should be turned on and off, and which physiological processes should be promoted or suppressed. Right. And all of these systems seem to be under the control of the SCN, or master clock. So when that portion of the brain is well-timed and functional, so are all the peripheral clocks downstream of the SCN. So it only makes sense that at the heart of many complex human disorders, we would also find circadian dysfunction on both a cell and tissue level. Correct. But the story doesn't end there. Time is a major factor in the unraveling of healthy physiology. Over time, clocks lose synchronization. It's not a perfect system. Circadian rhythm slowly falls apart over time, and this coincides with the gradual onset of many disorders. Yeah, and disorders aside, there are many examples of altered circadian rhythm in older individuals. Greater preference for morningness, reduction in peak melatonin secretion, higher frequency of sleep disruption and awakenings in the middle of the night, less coordinated firing of cortisol, reduced sensitivity to zeitgebers like light, possibly due to cataracts or macular degeneration. These changes are all associated with a loss of coordination of clock gene expression. That was a long list. So what are some of the ways that this happens? There are likely many complex interconnected reasons for the additive disruption of the circadian system. And about a year ago, my lab joined forces with Dr. Ralph and his colleagues to add an epigenetic layer to this story. So what did you do and, and what did you find? Cycling of clock genes is already well documented, but we were one of the first groups to observe epigenetic oscillations in mouse tissues, namely in the lung and the liver. We identified several regions of DNA that oscillated in a circadian fashion, so over a 24-hour period, meaning at one time of day we observed maximum epigenetic modification at those regions, which hit a minimum approximately 12 hours later. We also found that the strength or amplitude of these oscillations was anti-correlated with age, meaning that younger mice showed more consistent epigenetic rhythmicity that appeared to fall apart over time. The other key finding was that this loss of oscillation preceded and almost coincided with epigenetic changes that one would normally expect with greater age. Although this was a preliminary study, we hypothesized that this loss of rhythmicity is linked to the age-related unraveling of complex human disorders and can be detected epigenetically. We're now conducting further studies to strengthen this link. More on that later. Wow, that is both fascinating and slightly concerning. Are we doomed to succumb to our disrupted circadian rhythm, Richie? Yes and no. Obviously, nobody can escape aging, but there are certain things that most people can do to keep their circadian rhythm in check. Let's keep listening. So jumping back to humans, do you think that there's anything that most people can do to get better control of their circadian rhythm? And does that translate to just overall long-term well-being? Well, I know it's a yeah, tough jump to it's make. A, it's a tough jump. We have a complex lifestyle compared with a, a lab animal. We, it's hard to control 
find the average human being in order to, to do this. But if you take all of the data, the different, different ways of looking at, at rhythmicity and the connections that you see between poor rhythms, poor sleep-wake cycles, pressures on getting to work at a particular time, what, what you see is, is that there's the links that you find in the animal models are reflected reflective in fact of of the human model so we have people that don't age as well as other people and you want to ask why what is it about you know your lifestyle that 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 makes the difference and in general yes we have come to the conclusion that when your circadian system is breaking down and for either because genetically you're built to break down or because of the, your lifestyle, you end up with more or poorer health in general. And that includes the issues of metabolic syndrome, obesity, diabetes, things like that, heart diseases, especially one that we worked on. So to answer your question, step one is to actually understand, is there a real causal link between rhythm disorganization and poor health, right? So we've got a lot of data that say that's, that's the case. So then what? What do you do about it? Okay, you do not go out and legislate when people are allowed when to wake people up are allowed and to go to bed. Yeah, or, well, yeah, or that you, you, you can't all go to work at 8 o'clock. Right. Okay, you, or you don't do that. If you pay attention to it, you can actually take a look at your own lifestyle and organize it appropriately. Yes, if you have to get up because your kids have to go to school and so you want to get up and you, you get them ready, off they go, then, then realize that you can take a look at your, your own temporal program and see whether or not one this, this is something that you can work with and ad adjust your, you know, other things in, in, in your day, things like that. And make sure that whatever the pressures are in your life that you can control, you, you should con control them, right? We're, we're very much becoming societies where we live for the social aspect. There was, there was a, a prime minister so, yeah, he had a meeting with the, the premiers of the provinces and they were discussing a new deal with the federal government. And um, it had to be done at a certain time. There was a deadline and all the premiers were together with, with Paul Martin and Paul, it got late at night and Paul Martin said, I have to get some sleep. And he went and then... The newspapers reported this as and, and reported the res responses of the of the premiers saying, "How how can he be a prime minister? You know, if if he can't make it through a, these important meetings." And I I saw those reports and I thought, "Wow, here's a prime minister who actually knows what's going on." I mean, if you want to make a good decision, a sound decision calculate what you're saying you know or, or present your side things like that and if you are going to sleep at the meeting you're going to make mistakes just like you're driving a truck 
And I do think the culture is changing a little bit because I know that certain professions, mm -hmm. uh, medicine, things like uh, finance, trading, things like that, there definitely is a culture of bravado around not having slept and spent a lot of time at work. Yeah, I, I think there is. It, it's not become that way. There's always been some bravado, as you put it, for being able to get through the night without sleeping. How long, how many nights can you go without sleeping? I've tried. I think my record is I wasn't an ask. two and a half or three, but it uh, might yeah. be, might be two. Yeah. 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 And, and at that point you start to feel sick. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, so yeah, there's, I can overcome this. But I guess the yeah. research is starting mm -hmm. to trickle in that there's a, a strong association between people who live those kinds of lifestyles, high pressure, not a lot of sleep, are now seeing a lot of higher rates of things like dementia and poor cardiovascular outcomes, things like that. Yes. So yeah. do you think then that uh, it would be important to incorporate studies of circadian rhythm when studying many common complex disorders like psychiatric disorders, cardiovascular disorders, diabetes, things like that? Yes. Yeah. And why do you think so? Well, very simply. Everything we do is rhythmic. There's a reason that we have rhythmicity, and it's to promote organization. If you are prone to a disorder of one thing or another that has come about because of your lifestyle or because of pressures on yourself, things like that. And maybe some familial predisposition thrown oh, in as well. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. And, of course, a genetic background that leaves you prone to, <laughs> to, to the same disorders it's going to be just be worse. It, and it, if your circadian system is If your circadian system order. is disorganized, right. yeah. Yeah. If I just go back to the idea of having sleep at night at the right time, the reason we have sleep is not necessarily to rejuvenate all of our systems. We have downtime to rejuvenate our system, but we have sleep to wake up our brain at night and incorporate as i said the new experiences with the old experiences right it strengthens the memories it strengthens it uses the brain in such a way that the organization within the brain and i don't mean just circadian organization organization i mean the organization that allows us to remember things and to operate during the day becomes more solid it gets exercised. It's the type of exercise that it needs. And if you don't sleep, if you don't sleep at the right time, you won't get it. If you don't get it, then the other aspect, which is the removal of waste, the amyloid plaques and things like that, the removal of things that need to be removed right. won't, won't happen either. Byproducts you need of two things, byproducts of metabolism, exactly. You, those need to be removed, and you need the practice. Your brain needs to practice. It needs to put, get, as I said, get, get, get the, the new information integrated with the old information. So there you have it. People at home, get out of your labs, go to sleep, don't use your phones as much late at night. Yeah. And probably, well, you know, other things too, other considerations, but keep your circadian rhythm in check. Well, understand it first. And, and and make sure you don't abuse it. Yeah, respect it, for sure. Respect your sleep time. Definitely, yeah. So we're all products of our environment. Yeah. There's these evolutionary processes that have been around for many, many years. And mm -hmm. yeah, keeping that going as best as possible is probably good for just overall 
general well-being and health. I think so. And I think M- the ment- research... Mental and physical. Mental oh, and both. physical health. Yeah, yeah certainly. Mm-hmm. And I think as more time goes on, certainly more research out of your lab, but also out of the labs of your colleagues will come in to better emphasize that point. I hope so. Yeah. People have to listen, though. Well, so, that's, so you know, that's, this is what you're for. That's why we're here. <laughs> listen up, everybody. Yeah. All righty. Dr. Ralph, thanks again yeah. for having us. It's been a pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. I feel like I could talk to you all day, and we'll probably... Uh, we'll uh, do it again. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we'll definitely have you back. All righty. Okay. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. So now that we know all of this, what exactly can we do to keep our circadian system functional and healthy? A quick Google search of both scientific and non-scientific entries will suggest doing many things we already know are good for us, like avoiding screens and large meals late at night, sleeping and waking up at the same time, having a cold and dark room for sleep, and making sure to get regular amounts of daytime exercise. But now we know that the benefits of following a routine actually come from having a well-timed and coordinated internal clock. Fun fact, even taking prescribed medications at a certain time impacts how well they will work. This is because drug targets like enzymes and genes also fluctuate in their function based on the internal clock. So what does the future hold for circadian research? Is it important to investigate clock genes and the cycling of physiological processes when studying human disease? Definitely. As Dr. Ralph suggested, circadian rhythm is an essential component of every tissue and appears to be tightly linked to the pathophysiology of many disorders. Thus, it's important not only to learn more about how circadian rhythm functions, but also to include a circadian component in most investigations of complex disease whenever possible. So, Richie. I asked you at the beginning of this episode what work you're doing on circadian rhythms. Now, are you finally going to spill the beans? I think it's time. So partial disclosure, my lab has begun studying the connection between circadian rhythm and bipolar disorder. To accomplish this, we're subjecting affected individuals and healthy controls to regular MRI scans and blood collections over the course of a 24-hour period. By doing this, we hope to simultaneously identify regions in the brain and epigenetic modifications in blood DNA that show circadian oscillation. That sounds like a pretty high-risk project. Any luck so far? That might be a discussion for another episode. In the meantime, we'd like to give a special thanks to Dr. Ralph, who made this episode possible, Thamia, who helped out massively with content creation, and of course, our oldest friend, The Sun. That's all for now. Raw Talk Podcast is a student presentation of the Institute of Medical Science in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Toronto. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the IMS, the Faculty of Medicine, or the University. To learn more about the show, visit our website, rawtalkpodcast.com, and stay up to date by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Raw Talk Podcast. Support the show by using the affiliate link on our website when you shop on Amazon. Also, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts and rate us five stars. Until next time, keep it raw. How many nights can you go without sleeping? I've tried. I think my record is... I wasn't an ask. Two and a half or three. <laughs>